um, you can grab a seat, and our kids can slide out to Redemption Kids. So look for our Redemption Kids volunteers in the orange aprons. If you've got a child today and you haven't registered or checked them in, just follow our volunteers, and they will get you squared away. Well, uh, hey, my name is John Chasteen. I serve as one of the pastors here. So welcome to the gathering of Redemption Hill. For those of you online, welcome. Thank you for joining us today. Um, hey, just a reminder, we've got a section in the middle top up here uh, that we're reserving uh, for those who uh, want to socially distance and, and wear a mask. You're welcome to wear a mask anywhere in here, um, but if you want a, a section where we're going to rope, rope off every other um, row, you can do that up here. So if you sit in that, just help us out by keeping masks on in that section up there. Hey, and if you're new with us, uh, maybe you received a Connect card on the way in, um, or another great way to connect with us is by downloading our church app. Um, and so you can connect to the Wi-Fi, the information's on the screen up there, download our app, um, and on that you'll find a worship guide that you can follow along, um, but also there'll be a connect section that you can hit connect um, and just share a little bit of information so that we can thank you for worshiping with us. Uh, well, grab your Bibles and uh, turn with me to Mark chapter 10. We're going to continue our series today um, called Follow Through uh, the Gospel of Mark. And uh, I'll just be up front. I've, I've got a very difficult text today. In our text today, we are going to hear about Jesus teaching on marriage, divorce, and remarriage. And, and it's difficult for me on three specific fronts. First, there's not, uh, there's not unanimous agreement on uh, the interpretation of marriage, divorce, and remarriage in the Bible. So I'm standing as one who wants to faithfully teach and guide us, and yet there are, uh, man, dear brothers and sisters, men and women who've, who, who've disagreed on this. And so I just want you to know I step into this uh, with humility and ask for grace today um, as I walk us to follow Jesus in this area. But, but the second is that my gut tells me that many, if not most, of us have been impacted in some way by the brokenness of marriage. Maybe you've had parents, your own parents, that have walked through divorce. Maybe, maybe even you yourself have walked through that or are currently walking through that. And, uh, man, there's no beating around the bush, the reality that with divorce brings all kind of excruciating and horrific pain. Emotional, physical, spiritual, relational, financial. And so I just want you to know, as I share that, I realize that, man, I don't know everybody's situation, but, man, we've probably all in some way been touched by this. It's impacted us. And so uh, my goal today is not to crush you. That's what Satan would want to do. He wants to crush you. My goal, as one commentator writes, is to mingle the call to obedience with the tears of compassion. 
I don't want to step back from being faithful to the text that God's given us, and yet I want to do that faithfully, but also I want to empathize, and, and I want to be compassionate, and I want to I enter into and understand the pain that you've experienced. But the third reason this text is so difficult is that culturally, many people, including followers of Jesus, are just very casual about marriage Divorce and remarriage today. In fact, many would say, I don't, I'm not even going to get married. I would just prefer to just live with somebody and, and not worry about the mess that comes along with marriage. And so we need to hear from God today. We need to hear from God. And so I want to pause right now and just pray because I need your prayers, but we need prayers that we would rightly hear and respond and be receptive to what God wants to teach and do in us today. And so, Father, God, we just call upon you. God, we thank you that even as you lead us into truth, you also lead us into the path of life, that you've, you've sent Jesus who frees us and saves us and redeems us and restores us from all kinds of brokenness and pain. And so, God, um, would, you, would you help us to see you clearly today? And, God, would you give us grace to hear from you and to respond led by your spirit in the way you want us to respond? We pray and ask that in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, let's jump in. Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. The Word of God says this. It says, and he left there, and he went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan, and crowds gathered to him again. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. And the Pharisees came up, and in order to test him, asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And he answered them, what did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So... They are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. What you can see here is that this whole interaction is, is kicked off by a question from the Pharisees who were looking to test Jesus. They wanted to demolish Jesus' position and cause him to compromise the authority of the law. We see that there in verse 2. And the Pharisees came up in order to test him. Now, at, at this time... There were two primary um, opinions um, and schools of thought related 
to marriage and divorce. On the one hand, there was the following Rabbi Shammai was that the ground, the only ground for a for a divorce, was adultery, um, sexual immorality. And then on the other hand, following Rabbi Hillel is that divorce could be granted for any decency. You can go read the Mishnah, and it's like if um, I think it says if if she cleans the dish of a bowl the wrong way, that that would be grounds for a husband to divorce his wife. Like, you, like I see some of you shaking your heads there. Like, you're right. Like, on, on one hand, like, it's almost like you could divorce your wife for any reason. And the majority of the Pharisees followed this latter opinion. And, and so the question, what's really getting at here, um, it, it becomes really clear if you were to compare Matthew 19. So, like, a parallel passage to this is Matthew 19. In Matthew 19, similar question, but there's an added phrase. The, the Pharisees say, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And that's that phrase, for any cause. And so, here's what I want you to wrestle with. Think about just the direction and aim of their question. It's as if they are more interested and figuring out what they can get away with instead of what would be getting closest to the heart of God. I, in my mind, I, I picture the law at times um, like a boundary, and it says, you know, it's, you know some, our kids can do this, and they can be examples of it. It's like, how close can I get to the fire without being burnt? Like, it, it's that. It, and I'm saying, like, it's the wrong question. It's not, it's not, a, it's not that it's a it's the direction. I want to say, flip it the other way and say, what would be most after running the heart of God as it relates to marriage, divorce, and remarriage? And so what does Jesus do? I love what he often does. As he's interacting with people, he's going to respond to their question with a question. And so what does he say? He says here in verse 3, what did Moses command you? Now I just want to hit pause here. What is Jesus' authority on this issue? His authority is the word of God. And, and so as you wrestle with this issue, I just it would be helpful to, to be up front, and you need to wrestle with what is the authority in my life? What, what, and, and by that question, like, what is the driving force? That's determining how you decide what is true for your life. We see in Jesus, his authority was the word of God. What might be other examples of authority? It might be reason. It might be experience. It might be your desires, your feelings, peer pressure, culture, or God's word. And so, hey, what does Moses say? And so they say in verse 4, and this is referring to Deuteronomy 24. So I'm not going to have a ton of time to go back and unpack all of that. Um, but if you want to go do some more reading this week, you can dig in there. And say, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. Here's what was going on here. The certificate guaranteed that the divorcee had the right to remarry another man if she chose. In other words, it was safeguarding the woman. It was an attempt to limit the worst consequences for the women and 
that culture. And, and so Jesus hears that and responds in verse 5 with this. Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote to you this commandment. And then what does he do? He says, but from the beginning of creation. And Jesus goes and he quotes Genesis 1.27 and then Genesis 2.24. Again, also written by Moses. So Deuteronomy was written by Moses. So they're both in the law here. Um, But what happens is what the Pharisees respond to is a text of concession and Jesus takes them to a text of intention. The Pharisees are about wanting to ask and understand divorce. Jesus is wanting them to understand God's design. And it's not that you can't wrestle with questions of divorce. It's those questions have to flow from a proper understanding of God's design for marriage. So just what does this passage teach us? about marriage, divorce, and remarriage. The first truth I want to share with you is this, is that God's design for marriage is one male and one female becoming one for life. We see that here in verses 6 through 9 in him quoting back in Genesis in the creation account. And so just a few observations here that we see here. He says, from the beginning it was not so. God made them male and female. And so Yes, we're human beings, but we're not just human beings. We are created male and female. Maleness and femaleness are a part of God's creative will and foundational as we think about marriage. Now, I want to just hit pause here for a second. I realize that we live in a culture that disagrees primarily with this foundational truth. I want you to know my disposition and tone towards you is is that I love you and I want to call all people to follow Jesus, no matter where you are in life. At Redemption Hill Church, my hope and desire is that anyone could be be welcomed here and that that somebody who's either wrestling with same-sex attraction or whether somebody that's that's in a same-sex marriage no matter where you're at, we're calling all people to, to live and follow Jesus Christ. And so my disposition and tone is to be faithful to God's word. There is not an ounce of hate in my heart towards you. There is compassion, there is love, and I, I share the gospel with you as someone who is a sinner saved by grace. That may not be what I've wrestled with, but I'm a sinner and I'm deserving of God's punishment. And I'm just one who, who's tasted the grace of God and want to extend that to you as well. But as we continue through this passage here, Jesus says some pretty fascinating things. After quoting Genesis 2.24, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast his wife. The two shall become one flesh. He says, so they are no longer two but one flesh. I want you to just pause and think about that. For those of you that are married here, Jesus says, you are no longer two, but you are one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. 
In other words, marriage is not just a, a decision between two humans. It is something that God is doing. And, and so whether you acknowledge faith in God or not, what we're saying is that marriage was God's design, and he's doing something that we may not even see or people may not even recognize, two becoming one. Now, what does this oneness and marriage practically look like? I just want to give you a few nuggets here. I can't spend a ton of time. Look, you're still in reality two people. What's helpful for me as I think about marriage is the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. You've got diversity and you've got unity. The Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Father, the Spirit is not the Son. There is distinction, and yet there is unity. And so uh, there, is, there is diversity in marriage. A, a wife and a husband have their different personalities, different gifts, different strengths, and yet in a very real way, they are one flesh. When I, when I in, walk couples through premarital counseling, and we talk about this. My encouragement for them is to so integrate their lives in almost every way that's possible that it looks like they're one. I want to set the foundation from the beginning of my marriage, not preparing for, hey, I'm going to get divorced one day. I'm, my intention is God has made us one, and I want to do everything I can to make it as hard as possible that this marriage could dissolve. So practically, what does it look like for Lee and I in a couple of areas? For, for one, it's helpful for me to think financially. Like when Lee and I talk about, it's not like Lee's money and my money or her house or my house or my, it's, man, it's, it's ours and we are making decisions as a one flesh husband, wife, marriage. I want to make it as hard as possible to separate our lives, and I would encourage you to do the same as well. So let me just ask you this question. Just reflecting on verses 6 to 9, what would you say is Jesus' answer to the initial question? Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? On face value, Jesus ends his words with saying, what God has joined together, let no man separate. At face value, what seems to be the case is that Jesus is saying, from God's design, is that, man, divorce would not be on the table. Now, I want to just pause and think here about marriage for a second and why God has designed it in a particular way and what implications that has for how we think about this. If we were to jump over to Ephesians 5, where Paul talks about divorce, in, in the middle of, of encouragements to husbands and wives, he also quotes Genesis 2.24. And in verse 31, he says this. He quotes and he says, this mystery is profound. He says, what I'm talking about is Christ in the church. He calls marriage a mystery. What's a mystery? A mystery is something that was hidden, in this case, the Old Testament, 
but has now been revealed. In this case, with the coming of Jesus, and in particular, what Paul says in Ephesians 5. And so what is the mystery? It's this. One scholar says, Jeff Bromley says this. Here's the mystery. As God made man in his own image, so he made marriage in the image of his own eternal marriage with his people. Do you get that? That that human marriage was created to show what God's eternal marriage is like with us. Or as another scholar, as Piper says, marriage is meant to be the living drama of the covenant-keeping love between Christ and the church. It's about displaying the glory and beauty of the gospel. And there are a number of key implications for this. The first one is this. Marriage is not an afterthought. Marriage isn't something that that we just created and we can say, do we want it or do we not? Marriage originates with God, and he designed it already knowing full well his plan of redemption to save humans through the death of his son. Marriage to Jesus should be our ultimate pursuit. Don't miss this. Marriage to Jesus is, should be our ultimate pursuit. There will be no human marriage in heaven. Jesus says, you will be like angels. You will not be given in marriage. Why? Because the shadow of marriage gives way to its consummation. It's pointing towards the bride of Christ and the groom, and you'll be together. It's consummation. Those who trust in Christ will be married to him for all eternity. So human marriage is temporary. Relation to Jesus is ultimate. But then a third implication here is that marriage is meant to reflect something about the nature of God. I think we see this now. Like created and designed, it's imaging forth something about who God is. And the more we learn about how God relates to me in the gospel, the more we learn about how to relate to our spouses. So um, one of the first classes I took in seminary was marriage and family. And one of the most helpful exercises that my professor took us through as we were thinking about marriage was really about, he took us through the attributes of God. And he made us just wrestle through, like, man, who is God? What is God like? Wrestling through the unconditional love of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God, and the faithfulness of God. And he had us wrestle with this question. What grounds would ever cause God to divorce you? As I think about the faithfulness and love of God, there is nothing that could cause God to divorce me. Salvation from beginning to end. He initiates it, and he's going to bring to completion what he starts. And so, as I think about marriage, and we're going to talk about divorce here in a second, I don't want to too quickly jump to divorce without us truly getting that marriage is about displaying something to the world about how great our God is. And so I want you to leave today, even if you disagree with what I say 
about divorce and remarriage, leaving with a wrestling of, I want to know more about God. And if I'm married, I want to grow in more displaying who this great God is in my marriage. So maybe a few just other practical implications before we talk about divorce. Um, For those who have the desire for marriage, and let me just pause here. Singleness is a gift from God. So don't misunderstand me. Even as I'm talking about marriage today, marriage is not ultimate. For some of you, God is going to gift you to singleness, and you're not a lower class. And that may be for a season. It may be for your life. And I want to say, take your singleness and use it for the glory of God. Can I get an amen there? As a church, we should not just be elevating those who are married. We ought to be celebrating how God is working in and through the single men and women in our church. So don't, don't hear what I'm not saying. As much as it reflects the glory of God, it's not everything. There's something unique. I mean, Jesus wasn't married. Paul wasn't married. And in a lot of ways, Paul said, I wish many of you would be like I am because of the benefits and opportunities for gospel work. But coming back to marriage, in light of this, marriage should not be entered into lightly. Marriage is not just a decision, a, a, a a human decision, it is something that has larger implications. A second implication is this. For those of you who are not married, you have the desire for marriage. Marry someone who is in love with Jesus. What you're after is not a checkbox, are they a Christian? There are many people that would say, I'm a Christian. Men, single men and women, like, Just hear me here. Like, you want somebody who's chasing after the heart of God. You are going to be one flesh with this person. So, kind of an encouragement related to that. Live in community when you make these decisions. One of your temptations, hey, it was mine. I was in a relationship with college that it took my sister calling me and saying, John, you, are, you do not need to marry this girl. You need to break up with her. I, I did not see it. When you're in a relationship, it is hard to step back and be objective. You're, you're, like they're feeling, there's, there's all kind of things attached. So you need people who love Jesus, who are close to you, and who will tell you the truth to speak truth in love to you. So even though the temptation is in a relationship to almost isolate yourself, spend increasing time with that person and push everyone else, the the gospel would say, no, you need to fight that and you need to invite intentionally and bring community in. Second truth from this text about marriage, divorce and remarriage is this. Divorce is the negative result of sin and living in a fallen world. Going back to Jesus' comment in verse 5, he says, Moses allowed that because of your hardness of heart. Now, I just want to pause here for a second. I want you to think about this statement, because of your hardness of heart. If we were reading Matthew's version of this, the previous section in Matthew 18 is this. 
and, 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 and as, you read, as you read Matthew 19, you, like light bulbs would have been going off. Jesus tells a parable about the unforgiving servant. Peter says, hey, Jesus, how many times should I forgive my brother? Jesus says, 77 times or 70 times 7. What's his point? Like, is there a limit to the forgiveness that we extend? No. Here's what he's saying. And he doesn't say this, but he's like, hey, how many times does God forgive you? Is there a cap on the forgiveness that God extends? And the answer is no. There is not a cap on the forgiveness that God extends. So he says, hey, you've been forgiven, you go forgive. It's what Paul says in Ephesians 4.32. So following that, Jesus tells a parable, and here's the parable. There's a king who had a servant, and do you know how much the servant owed him? 10,000 talents. Do you know what a talent is? A talent is equivalent of 20 years' wages. So let's assume you make 50,000 a year. How much do you make in, in 20 years? It's a million, right? Now take a million and multiply that times 10,000. It's just like a gazillion. I don't even know, like, somebody, you can, you can text me the word, whatever that is. It's four zeros on a million. You know, don't get distracted in the sermon here. What's his point? His point is there is no way this guy is paying that back. And do you know what the king does? He has compassion on him. And he, and he lets him go. He forgives him. And that very servant has another servant. And do you know how much that servant owes him? He owes him um, 100 denarii. Now, what is one denarii's worth? One denarii is worth a day's wages. So he owed him for 100 days. Let's assume you make 150 bucks a day times 100 days. You've got $15,000. He just got forgiven a gazillion, and now he won't forgive a guy that only owes him $15,000. And the king finds this out. And Matthew 18 ends with this verse. So also, my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. The very next verse is, hey, Jesus, is it lawful to divorce your wife your, uh, for, for any cause? And then you have this phrase, because of your hardness of heart. There's a connection here that I just, I want to be up front with you as we think about marriage, is that divorce, in a lot of ways, flows from our own sin and sin against us. Look, marriage is hard. I'm seeing some of you nod. Look, I love my wife. We've been married almost 18 years. Marriage is hard. You must daily deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus. Marriage is a call to be last of all and servant of all. When you step into marriage, like, your sin and junk is going to get exposed on a daily basis. And so, like, there's got to be a willingness with the hope of the gospel as your sin is exposed for Jesus and God's grace to come in and, and train, transform you and, and work in you and for you to extend that same grace to your spouse. 
but marriage is hard. That as we think about divorce and what potentially leads to divorce, most marriages don't just explode overnight. Usually, it is a slow crumbling of the foundation, a little trust broken here, a little trust broken, broken there, a little bitterness here, a little bitterness there, a lack of forgiveness here, a lack of forgiveness there. Very rarely does someone just wake up and say, I'm going to go have an affair or commit adultery. Very rarely. Usually it is a slow creep. Now, I'm, I'm generalizing this. Marriage and relationships are complex. This is why when I do pre-marriage counseling, one of the first books I ask everyone to read is When Sinners Say I Do. Because, because marriage, in a lot of ways, is about learning how to see your own sin and see the gospel applied to it, and then how do you extend and help your spouse, by God's grace, receive that same grace and mercy. I would say this, God's desire for troubled marriages is that they would seek after reconciliation. With that being said, I just want to come back to this question. Are there biblical grounds for divorce? And to answer that, we, we can't just answer that slow, solely on Mark chapter 10. So here's what I'm going to do. I am, you're not going to be satisfied with this because I've got maybe 15 to 20 minutes here to wrap this up. Um, and so what hopefully I do is, is helps you think and, and, it, and it, it, it catalyzes you into greater study to wrestle and think about these issues. And so what I want to do is I want to just provide for you the three major views on marriage and divorce among those who accept the fourth full authority of the Bible. And so the first view would be this. The first view is that divorce is never permitted for any reason. There's no doubt that Jesus' teaching was regarded as extremely strict by everyone who heard it. I mean, in our Mark account here, after this, what do the disciples do? In verse 10, and in the house, the disciples ask him again, they're like, hey, Jesus Hey, we got a few more questions about this. Now, if we were to go to the Matthew account, this becomes even more explicit. In the Matthew account, do you know what the disciples do? I think we get on the screen here. It says, the disciples said to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. In other words, you're like, how did the disciples receive this? Did they receive Jesus' teaching as one that was opening up all kinds of opportunities for divorce. My reading of it and is that, man, they were like, man, I'm not even sure if, if we should get married given what you've just said. And so I just stepped back down. I'm like, this would be one of the arguments for someone who holds to this position is that the reaction of Jesus' teaching is, is one that would allude to that, that Jesus is elevating how we ought to think about marriage and divorce. Additionally, you could go to a passage, we're not going to read it today, but Romans 7, 1 through 3. Paul argues that a wife and a husband are bound to each other until death, but if one of them dies, they are free. And so 
Paul alludes in Romans 7 that it is only death that would break the marital bond. And so that is the first view that that some would hold. A second possible view is that divorce is permitted, but remarriage is not allowed. For Mark, look at verses 10 and 11. What is it that actually causes adultery? He says, and he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. The assumption there is that if you divorce and, and you don't get married, that it wouldn't be a, a committing of adultery. And then if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. So for those that would hold to this position, they would say that divorce is permitted, but the encouragement would be for someone to not pursue remarriage unless um, there was a death of the other spouse or um, some would even say if there was a remarriage in the other spouse. Um, as you think about this view, there is nowhere, there's no text that explicitly commands uh, getting remarried. Um, even Paul in 1 Corinthians 7, I think that I've got that for us. He says this, to the married I give this charge, not I but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. In other words, he alludes to the fact that separation could be wise at times, but that reconciliation should be the pursuit. I want to just hit pause here and let you into my world a little bit. Lee and I have talked openly about this. Um, divorce is not vocabulary that we use in our marriage. I have seen marriages where divorce is used as a threat. There's no way I can come away with hearing Jesus that a, a genuine follower of, of Christ could, could use that to threaten their spouse. Lee, have, Lee and I have removed that from our vocabulary. Um, here's how I personally would practically flesh some things out. Um, and, and I say this, trying to be as honest as I can, and yet I, wanna, I have never walked through that. But I've told, I've told Lee this. Lee, if you, for some reason, were to commit adultery or to have an affair, I'm chasing after you because I believe that's what God would do after me. Now, I say that full and well knowing that that would be very hard. Like the pain of a spouse that has had an affair or for whatever reasons, like I can't imagine walking through that. But I'm just letting you see my heart's inclination is that I want to pursue reconciliation. Because I believe that would, that would reflect the heart of God as he thinks about me. A third view is that some would hold that divorce is permitted and remarriage to a believer is granted to the innocent party. This view, just to be explicit, it's an argument primarily for silence. In other words, here's the logic. If God grants divorce to the innocent party, then he would also grant permission to remarry. 
But there's no, the challenge for this position is, is that it's an argument from silence and there's no explicit command on remarriage. And so um, my personal lean, just to be upfront with you, this is not coming from the elders and this is acknowledging that there's even differences probably among the pastors and elders at Redemption Hill. I came out of seminary um, with, a, with a strong leaning of the first view. That, 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 that as I imitate God, that, that all divorce in some ways is a, is a result of the fall and that we should be striving for reconciliation. Now, I want you to hear me. Just because I view that does not mean that I look at you with condemnation or with judgment. Those are going to be some things you're going to have to wrestle and battle with, okay? Um, that's just me trying to be faithful to the text. Again, I want to mingle the call to obedience with the tears of compassion. I, I'm trying to be faithful, and yet I also want to enter into and have conversations and how do I help couples. But other wise men, men much wiser than me, would hold to the second view or even the third view. So then let me take us to this question. In the cases where divorce might be permitted, what might be those cases? Um, there are three options here. The first would be for adultery. Some would say that this is the only exception. And this is flowing from Matthew chapter 9. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 9, Jesus says this, And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality and marries another, commits adultery. And so there's clearly, like Jesus is saying that. Here's the challenge with that. That is not repeated anywhere else in, a, in another book. It's not found in Mark. It's not found in Luke. Paul doesn't repeat that. And so um, some would ask, okay, why do we not find that repeated in the rest of Scripture? And the argument would be that it was conceded that all Jews assumed that, that if, if it was from adultery, um, that it was, it was permitted. And so that Jesus, therefore, it was implied in his response in Mark and Luke. Now, you may ask me, hey, John, like, man, how do you hold to position number one and yet hear these words where Jesus seems to say, except for sexual immorality? And so, um, and I would just acknowledge all three of the previous positions have strengths and weaknesses, like, that's why it's so hard. Even, I say my leaning is position number one, but I'm fully aware of the weaknesses of that position. I would say this, those that would hold to that is that sexual immorality, what Jesus says here is he doesn't say adultery. He doesn't say whoever divorces his wife except for adultery. He says except for sexual immorality, which is the Greek word porneia, which, which would be argued, some would say, is, is a term that's used for sexual immorality um, before marriage. And that if it were in marriage, the term that would have been used would have been adultery. And so the way to understand this would be from a betrothal view. Matthew was writing to a Jewish audience. Um, and so um, the betrothal view is, is similar to our engagement, but that there was, there was more commitment there. So that there could have been um, a sexual immorality in this betrothal period that would have freed or there would have been the the, the permission for there to be um, a divorce. Um, and that would be the explanation for that. And the reason that it's missing from Mark and Luke is because they're writing to primarily Gentile audiences. 
but committing adultery would be one of the um, areas that someone would say that divorce might be permitted. Another area is the desertion by an unbeliever. This is from 1 Corinthians 7.15. Paul writes, but if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. And so some would argue that what this phrase here, that you are not enslaved or not bound, means that you're free not only to divorce, but you're free to remarry. Though Paul doesn't explicitly state that. And I would say abuse would fall under this category. Listen to me clearly. Physical, verbal, emotional, sexual. If your partner is treating you such a way that you're forced to leave the home, this is like a forced abandonment. If you ever feel unsafe in your home or if your spouse becomes violent, please don't hesitate to call 911 and leave. If you feel unable to leave or you're not ready to talk to someone, there's a national domestic violence hotline. But please reach out for help. Just because I may personally believe that that someone should seek reconciliation, I'm not saying under any means that someone should remain under intentional ongoing abuse. Reach out for help. Reach out to a pastor. Reach out to one of our wives. Reach out to a community group leader, one of your males or females, a, a close, trusted friend. There's a difference between a, having a heart posture that's willing to forgive Remaining in a place of abuse. Desertion or abuse would be one example. And then a final example that some might say would be if the divorce was pre-conversion. But let me just, let me give you a few encouragements here. Before you consider divorce, I want you to hear these words from a, a lady named Laura Baxter. She wrote an article, said, take it from me, don't get a divorce. She says, I was divorced after three children and 10 years of marriage. Since that time, almost two decades ago, I've counseled many women weathering divorce and its aftermath. I can tell you confidently that divorce is worse than you think. If you go through with divorce, you will experience extreme emotional distress, including sadness, anger, shame. Conflict with your husband will probably accelerate pulling friends and family into the vortex. She continues, I urge you in the power of Christ provides to fight tirelessly for your marriage. Trust that God has given you all the resources you need to be faithful. And then further, she says, for yourself, for your family, for the gospel, I pray you'll firmly finally put all of the thought of divorce behind you. Take up your cross, follow Christ. He promises you will find abundant life. Here's why I share that. Because so casually in our culture, I think many of us are tempted to take the easy way out. And 
I just want you to hear that marriage is hard and that, that it's one of the hardest areas you're going to have to fight for, but that it's worth it. I'm not reading this for those of you that have been through divorce to shame or guilt you. I'm reading this for somebody who's contemplating to hear somebody who's walked through it and decades later is looking back and she's pleading with you. I just want you to be aware. So I will say this. Even if you come to the conclusion biblically that you can pursue a divorce doesn't mean that you should. Just like I said with Lee and I, even though I may be justified, I want my heart to say, God, I want to chase after, I want to reconcile, I want to pursue. God, help me to forgive. Help me not to get to the 70th time where I can't extend forgiveness. God, help me not to harden my heart. And then for those of you considering, considering remarriage, don't make a bad decision flowing from hurt and pain. What I mean by that is don't just quickly jump right back into a, another marriage, even if it's biblically justified, without really learning and reflecting and spending adequate time saying, God, what do I need to learn from this previous marriage? And then for both of these, live in community. Like no one should have to walk through this alone. And I want you to hear this. As pastors, we want to extend and point, and point people to Jesus. So like we want you to reach out to us. We may connect you with a counselor. We may connect you with another person in our church. But you don't do this alone. Live in community. And that leads me to the final point. Make Jesus the ultimate marriage of your life. Make Jesus the ultimate marriage of your life. When you do this, those who are single, make Jesus, marriage to Jesus, the ultimate marriage of your life. That is where contentment and joy is going to be found. For those of you who are married, marriage is not forever. Make Jesus the the ultimate marriage of your life. He is the perfect example for how you pursue your spouse. Like if both of you are making Jesus ultimate, like just the picture of a humble servant willing to lay down their life, both of you going after that. Like that is what it takes in marriage. And in Jesus empowers you by his spirit to do that. But at the same time, I want you to hear this. The very Jesus who says, let no man separate, is also the Jesus that willingly shed his blood for the new covenant so that every single one of your sins, sins in marriage, sins in divorce, sins in remarriage, whatever it is, he has paid for all of it. And he's, he's not looking, like, he's inviting you, even in your pain and your brokenness, to run to him. In Mark 3, 28, we've already seen it. He says, truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter. So maybe you're sitting here and, and you've been a part of an unbiblical divorce or remarriage. What should you do? What Satan wants to do is he wants to just condemn you. He wants you to live in shame 
and guilt. But that is not liberating. Jesus is liberating. What you should do is to come to him, confess, repent of your sin, and receive the forgiveness that he bought for. Jesus, John says in John, in 1 John 1, 9, if anyone confesses his sin, Jesus is faithful and just, and he will forgive them. Jesus is eager to say, you're forgiven. There's no condemnation. Look to him. Unbiblical divorce and remarriage is not the unforgivable sin. Take your bitterness to Jesus. One guy who's walked through divorce says this. He says, how could I harbor bitterness when the holy and innocent one cried out on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So even as you wrestle with bitterness and injustice and suffering and pain, I want to say, look to Jesus. When you make marriage to Jesus ultimate, he empowers you to be able to do that. You can't do that in your flesh. You can't change the past, but you can commit from this way forward to say, God, I want to make much of you. And so as I pray, my invitation to you today is wherever you're at, that Jesus would be ultimate and that you would come to him today and that you would find peace and rest for yourself. Father, God, I just confess and acknowledge the weightiness of marriage. And God, even as I hear this challenge of that marriage is about displaying and making much of you, God, I, I often fail. I'm reminded of, of my sinfulness, and yet my desire to show the world in a very tangible way how loving you are, how gracious you are, how merciful you are. So God, God, we need your help. God, I pray, would you, for, the, for the, the person in here that's really on the brink of divorce, and God, it, it may be justified. I'm acknowledging that. I'm, I'm not perfect. I'm not like... But God, I just pray, would you, would, would you help them to fight with every ounce of fight until there's no hope left? And they would do that as a, as a means of making much of you in their life. God, I pray for the person that right now feels just overcome with guilt and shame, or there's just excru, excruciating pain. God, would you bring healing would you bring restoration? Would you use the community of Redemption Hill to speak truth, to speak love? God, that they would, they would see that in Christ they're a new creation, that, that you look at them not in our failings, you look at us in Christ. You see us as the righteousness of God, that they would see and live out that identity. God, we need you to continue to lead us in your way. We need help. God, I pray and ask all that in Christ's name. Amen.